church. And uh, you can take your Bibles, if you would, and uh, open up to Romans chapter 6 this morning. Uh, We will be in Romans chapter 6, and we're looking at verses uh, 1 through 4 as we continue uh, going through the book of Romans. Let's uh, let's read the word of God together. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into uh, Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come into your presence today and we ask that you would... Speak to us from your word that you would uh, be in our midst through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, your word is living and active. And so we pray, Lord, that it would be living and active in our midst. Give me the words to say. Give us a clarity of focus to to walk through these verses and that you might apply them uh, to our hearts and, and to our lives. And that we would love you, Lord Jesus, more and more every day. In your name we pray. Amen. I want you to imagine for yourself uh, a moment, if you would, just uh, a teenager learning uh, to drive. And the teenager gets his license, his or her license. And picture yourself as, as the parent. Uh, some of you might have been through this experience already. Some of you, like me, this, this experience is right around the corner. And these, these days are coming and my hair is going to get more gray and I'm going to lose some. But imagine, if you will, the teenager with their new license and they go out and they are speeding and they get caught and they get a ticket and they come back and they're apologetic and they're uh, upset. And you say, "Okay, all right, we will forgive you and uh, your mom and I, we will we will pay for this ticket. We'll take care of it. And then the teenager goes out again and says, great. My mom and dad paid for my speeding ticket. And so they're driving down the highway and they again decide to speed and they get pulled over and they come back and then they apologize and then they say, "Okay, yeah. And the parents again say, all right, we'll pay for your ticket. We know you don't have a job yet. And the parent child goes out with their license and they go around and they say, all right, this is awesome. I can speed and my parents will pay for the cost. And so they do it again. And maybe they do it again and again. At what point is the child taking advantage of your grace, of your kindness? At what point do you as a parent say, okay, this is just getting ridiculous. I'm not going to pay for this and I'm not going to pay for the increase in the insurance and you've got to have some consequences. We're in a passage of Scripture that's not focusing on driving, obviously, But it is focusing on the idea in the illustration that that the child just says, I have been forgiven. I have grace from my parents. I can continue to go out and live however I want. I can speed because my parents will cover the consequences. Sometimes in our lives, people treat the grace of God in that way. I have been forgiven. 
God has washed away my sin. I can go out and live how I want. And Paul is responding to that here, not only in these four verses, but as we move through the chapter in the coming weeks, we will see that you do not use grace as an excuse to go on sinning. That's our main point this morning. Because God has given you grace, it is not an excuse to say, you know what? God's going to forgive me anyways. I will just go out and live however I want. I don't need to be concerned with following Christ. I don't need to be concerned with walking in His ways because He'll forgive me. Grace is free. Look how much of a sinner I was and He already forgave me. I can continue to do it. And Paul is saying that is wrong. Do not use grace as an excuse to go on sinning. First, this morning, do not go on sinning because you have died to Christ. You see, we need to understand what the Gospel is and what grace has done in our lives. And when we understand the implications of that, we we will not have this idea that, well, I'm forgiven, I can live however I want. You might be tempted to say, I can sin more so that grace abounds. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue on sin in sin that grace may abound? Now, Paul is drawing on what he has said earlier. If you go back to chapter 5, verse 20. Now the law came to increase the trespass, and where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So he was talking about the connection, the line between Adam and Christ. And he said, Adam sinned and plunged all of humanity into sin and the punishment of death. And then he says, you know, the law comes at a particular point under Moses and people sinned even more. They broke the law. They compounded those sins. We continued in that habit of sinning. And Paul says where those sins abounded, God sent Christ to pay for sin. So where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And we remember back earlier in chapter uh, chapter 5, verse 8, that Christ died for the ungodly. God loved us while we were still sinners and sent Christ to die for us. He did not die for us because we were already good people. But we were sinners. And so you see this idea of here we were in the wretches of our sin and the grace of God just abounded. It overflowed. We had this awful sinfulness and God just says, I love you, not because you're lovable, but you're sinners. But I'm going to love you and send Christ to die for you. And so Paul is kind of taking uh, what a critic of his argument of grace, what a critic of the gospel might say, and he's, he's responding to it. Someone might say, well, hey, you know, if, if grace is free, if I don't have to do anything for it, if it comes to me while I'm a sinner... If grace abounds when there's a lot of sin, why don't I just go out and sin even more? Think of how much more grace I could get. As if that's the way that we're supposed to think. Paul says to this, absolutely not. One of the things that Paul might be responding to is people who misunderstand the Gospel. They might say, well, if this idea of grace is true, then I can sin as I want. 
Some will say, hey, I can, I can get away with sin. Others might actually respond in a way to try to undermine and say, salvation can't be by grace then, Paul. There could be taking the argument to its logical conclusion or what they think is the logical conclusion. Well, Paul, you've said that salvation is free and by grace. If that's true, people can sin as much as they want and still be forgiven. And then they might go on and say, therefore, that idea of grace has to be wrong. Because people would just go out and live however they wanted if that was true. And you sometimes, even in our day and age, will encounter people that still think that way. Salvation can't be by faith alone received as a gift. I need to contribute something to it. Because if I don't work for it, I'm just going to take advantage of it. It's like if you would give your credit card to someone and say, here, if you ever get in trouble and have a, a bill you need to pay, use my credit card. And then the person says, hey, I didn't work for this money. I'm just going to start racking up the credit card. We need to understand the gospel. The gospel is given to us through the grace of God. We are forgiven through the work of Jesus Christ. It is not of works, but received through faith. And yet, when we believe in the gospel, when we become partakers in the Lord Jesus Christ, there are implications for this. So Paul responds here strongly. By no means. Uh, the old King James says, God forbid. It's, it's saying, absolutely not. No way. Do not think like this. Stop! He says in effect. Don't, don't go there. Is, is kind of maybe what he's getting at. What should we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? No. How can we who died to sin still live in it? This is the heart of how Paul is going to explain how the gospel is at work in your life and my life. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, the effects of the gospel have come and, and you share in them in your life. The death that Jesus died has applied to you. And you are dead to your sins. So he says, you who are, have died to sin, how can we who have died to it still live in it? So, first, Paul does not mean that we no longer have the presence of sin in us. Even as believers, we still sin. We still stumble in sin. We are still going to find ourselves needing to repent of things. And we are going to need to grow in our life and, and overcome certain habits and, and behaviors. He doesn't mean that a true believer will never, ever sin. I'm sure all of us know that we are still sinners as Christians. At least by experience, all of us have had those sorts of things. And we shouldn't feel like we're, we're some sort of less of a Christian because of that. That is a Christian struggle to fight against sin. But you struggle and fight against it because Christ has done a work in you. So Paul will say in Romans 6.13, the first part of the verse, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. It almost it, it assumes that you, you can 
fall into sin. And so he says, don't don't do this. Resist it. Don't present yourself as as instruments of unrighteousness. The believer can indeed sin. However, sin is no longer a reigning and ruling power in our life. The imagery is that when before we are a believer, when we are an unbeliever, we are enslaved to sin. It is the ruling power. It is the master of us. It is our Lord. We delight in sinning. And we don't have the capacity and the ability and the desire to resist it. It's what enslavement means. We are in bondage to sin. A slave cannot just get up one day and say, well, you know, I'm done being a slave. I'm going to walk out of this house. And so it is with us in our sins. We are dead in our sins and it is our master. However, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we die to this sin. We we have the enslaving power of sin put to death in us and over us. Verse 11 of chapter 6. So you must consider yourself dead to sin. Verse 14 of chapter 6. For sin will have no dominion over you. Chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, having been set free from sin. We have been freed from sin by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ because we become partakers in the work of Jesus Christ. Think for me, if you will, just kind of a a human example. It's maybe not the best example. Uh, But think, for example, during the Civil War. The Civil War of the United States was fought over slavery. And often, after slaves had been set free, they would at times enlist in the Union Army. They would go to war against slavery and against the institution of slavery. But to go to war against slavery, they first had to be set free. This is how it works in the Christian life. You first need to be set free from the reigning power of sin, from the dominion of sin, from the slavery to sin, so that you can go out now and fight sin in your Christian life. You are not in this life freed from the presence of sin, but you are freed from the enslaving, ruling, reigning power of sin. You actually have some abilities in Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit to resist sin, to grow in the Christian faith. Why? Because you have died to that sin. Just as someone who is put to death is no longer under their master, so when we are put to death to that sin, we are no longer under the mastery of sin. So, if you've died to sin, how can you live in it? What Paul is saying. In other words, how can you come with this idea of 
hey, if I have grace, I can sin as much as I want. How can you even think that way if you have died to that slavery to sin? Why would you go back to that master and say, hey, I'm just going to keep doing what I'd always been doing. I'm going to live it up. No, you get out of the house. You flee away from that sin. You move out because you say, I'm not enslaved here anymore. You don't go back to the slave master and say, hey, let me work for you. In the same way, you don't go back to sin and say, hey, let me just do this because I'm forgiven anyways. So, ask yourself this. Am I comfortable with sin in my life? Do I shrug my shoulders at it? Do I shrug it off? Ah, no, No big deal. I'll just continue to do it because I know God will forgive it. If you are okay with living in unrepented sin, if it doesn't bother you, if you feel you have no conviction, if you feel no conviction when you do these things, ask yourself this, have I really been brought from death to life? Am I still enslaved? Do I really know who Jesus is and what the grace of God has done in my life? Brothers and sisters, we walk by grace. And that means not returning to that old lifestyle. Yes, we're still going to struggle with sin and fight against it. And at times we're going to stumble and maybe even stumble hard. But do not get comfortable with that. Do not say, oh well... I'll just keep doing it because there's no way I can fight it. The grace of God has made you dead to the enslaving power of sin. Second, this morning, do not go on sinning because you are baptized into Jesus and his death. So, Paul will use now the analogy of baptism to speak of the spiritual reality that goes on in our lives when we become united to Jesus in a relationship with Him. So we are baptized into Christ. Therefore, we share in His death. Look at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? So Paul is using the concept of baptism to describe our union with Christ. Now, Paul is not saying that unless you're baptized in water, you're not saved. We are, we are saved by faith. And you think of the example of the thief on the cross. He didn't have time to tell the Roman soldiers, hey guys, could you hold up on this crucifixion a minute? I need to get down and get baptized because uh, now I believed in Jesus and, and we're only saved if we get baptized. No, he believed in Jesus. He died that night or that day on the cross and he went right to heaven. But Paul is using the symbol of our water baptism to describe what actually takes place when we believe in the Lord Jesus. We put our trust in Him and we become partakers of all of the benefits that Jesus has won in His death and resurrection. So you think about the symbolism of baptism. You stand in some water, right? And you go down into the water. And the symbolism is just as Jesus Christ went down into the grave. He was uh, crucified. He died. 
and you then uh, come up out of the water. And it's a symbolism of the new life that you have in Jesus Christ. And it's a symbolism of what you do when you believe. You trust in Jesus and you become a partaker in His death and His resurrection. It is just as if you died and rose again. What He did applies directly to you. And so when you have faith, then you go and you get baptized because you're saying, I believe in Jesus and I want to show people that I believe in Jesus. And this is a testimony of what Christ has done through saving faith. That I now have died with Him going under the water and I risen to new life with Him coming up out of the water. Let me pause here to just tell a story about my first baptizing of someone. Uh, I was a youth pastor and the senior pastor had injured his back and so he asked if I would do the baptismal service that night. And there were... It was amazing. There were like 10 or 11 kids that were in my youth group that I got to baptize. And one of these kids was probably about 6'2", maybe 6'3", so taller than me. I'm about 6 foot. And so we get into uh, the little baptismal pool, and and I go to to lay him down under the water. and, And, you know, water displaces when you put someone into it. And I had not thought of this. So the water, you know, as he goes into the water, it pushes the water out and kind of up some of the stairs. And, and I watch him go down, and the water comes back over his head, and I go, great, this is great. He's, he's gone under the water, so now I can, I can pull him back up. Well, as I pull him back up, and he's getting out of uh, the, the baptismal there, I see, like, the whole back of his head is dry. And I have this moment of panic because what happened was all the water went over him and it was kind of like a wave and and none of the water filtered back under him because it happened so fast and I pulled him up and I had this theological crisis in in that moment and said, did he really go under the water? Do I have to re-baptize him? And and his grandfather is there helping him out of the, the pool and I'm thinking, you know, his grandfather's an elder in the church and I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to lose my job because I didn't really baptize him right and uh, it was fine. We counted it. He went under the water for all intents and purposes. But when he comes up and he has this dry spot, I go, oh, my goodness, am I even a good Baptist here? Did we even get him under the water? But it's the symbolism. It's the symbolism of the death of Christ and, and his resurrection. And when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you partake of these things. And if you are partaking of the death and resurrection of Christ, if you have died to that sin and now you have a new life in Jesus, why in the world would you go back to the old life? You've been baptized into his death. So uh, going on in Romans chapter six, you look at verse nine, it says we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. So the power of the resurrection is that Jesus cannot die again. Jesus has a resurrection body and it is a human body. But the difference is before Jesus rose again from the dead, when he was born in Mary, when he lived the human life, he actually could die. He does die. Now that he has a resurrection or resurrected human body, it is a body of a new 
tight, if you will. It's still completely human, but it can't ever die. It's going to be like your resurrection body and my resurrection body. And, and let me tell you, you know, we look forward to getting he- to heaven and, and the new heavens and the new earth and getting a resurrection body. And, and how bummed out would you be if you found out it got old and could die again? It's like, this isn't what I signed up for. Uh, it's, it's like buying something that says it has unlimited battery life and then the batteries run out and you say, what happened? Death can't defeat Jesus. It doesn't have dominion over him. And if you are partaking of Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, sin doesn't have dominion over you. Just as Jesus has died to that body that could die again and rose again, so you've died to that body that was enslaved to sin. Now, again, we still have the presence of sin. But you've been set free from the enslaving power of sin. You can actually choose now to resist it. Why? Why would you go back? Why would you say, well, I'm free. Now I'm going to willingly go back. Don't you remember what it was to be ensnared and entrapped in sin? Don't go enjoying that. That road leads to death. Just as Jesus can no longer die and no longer sin no longer has dominion over him. So if you belong to Jesus, sin no longer has dominion over you as a reigning power. So we've been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We'll look at this next week, but Romans 6, 6 and 7. You know that your old self was crucified in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So in your union with Christ, you share in all the benefits of Jesus. There are what we might call Legal benefits. We've been talking about this. Sin is forgiven. It is washed away. That language of being justified is a legal verdict where God declares us to be righteous. But there's also what we might call renovative uh, work that Christ does in us. He changes our heart. He renews us. He's teaching us to walk in our way, in His ways. He's actually begun a good work in us so that we might go on and and live in a right and appropriate manner. And you can't have one without the other. When you are forgiven, you've come to be a partaker in Christ. Now you need to walk in the new life that He has given. So, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So, third this morning, do not go on sinning because you are baptized into Jesus' new life. It is the death and the resurrection of Jesus that you are a partaker of. So you don't just get to say, you know, hey, the slate is washed clean. Now I'll just go out and live however I want. 
The slate is washed clean. Your sins are forgiven. But something else has been imparted to you. New life. Why would you live in the old life if you have the new life? If you drive a car that is a clunker and, and you never know if it's going to start and, and the brakes don't always work and, and you, know, you step on the gas and sometimes it stalls out and someone gives you a nice, fancy new car. I mean, tip-top shape. And they, they give you a free gas card for it. And they say, anytime you want to fill up your gas, just use this card. And they tell you, this is your new driving vehicle. Why would you go back to the old car? What would make you say, well, you know, this new car is nice and all, but I really like what I had. Your old life has been put to death and you have a new life. Now, Paul is saying, walk in it. You belong to Jesus. So look at verse 4. We were buried together with Him by baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So Paul is getting a lot of, uh, shall we say, mileage out of this metaphor of death and life. He talks about us being dead in our sins in Ephesians chapter 2 and and we are made alive in Christ. Here he talks about us being put to death towards sin, the sin that we were dead in, the sin that we were enslaved to. We now die to that and the life that we have is new life in Christ. So Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he didn't go back to his old life. Now, Jesus wasn't a sinner in his old life. But the point is, he didn't go back to a state where he could die again. In the same way, why would we go back to our old life, which entailed sin? We've been buried with Christ by this baptism. By my faith in trusting myself to Jesus, I share. I become tethered. I am united to Jesus so that everything that he did in dying and rising again, it is just as if I experienced it. His death pays for my sin. I've now died to sin. His new life wins the resurrection. And not only do I have a future resurrection coming because of Jesus, I have resurrection life at work in me now. Why wouldn't I want to use that? Why wouldn't I want to walk in these things? I'm a new creation. There is something fundamentally different about me. And if I am content to go back to that life, if I'm happy with and say, I'll just sin however I want, it doesn't really matter. What is that saying about my experience of new life? Do I really have it? Do I really understand it? Why why would I find contentment in that old way and not joy and happiness in the new way? Chapter 6, verse 9, We know that Christ, being raised again from the dead, will never die again. In the same way, I am freed 
from that slavery to sin to walk in a new life, why would I go back and walk in the old way? Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What does it look like to put on Christ? Your behaviors, your attitudes change. You start to to become an imitator of Christ. Now, it doesn't happen all at once, but over time in your Christian life, you learn and grow and you bear the fruit of the Spirit so that more and more you look like Jesus. Why? Because you share in Jesus. And in sharing in Jesus, in being spiritually baptized into Him by believing in Him, you've put Him on. You've put off the old. Therefore, live like the old is put off. Let's make just a few applications here uh, this morning. First, the Scriptures teach that those who belong to Christ are expected to make progress in living like Him. This passage does not allow us to sit there and say, I'm a believer. I can go out now and live however I want. I don't get to say, well, Jesus is my Savior, but I'm going to go live however I want because I I really don't want to submit to Him yet as my Lord. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you've been freed from that old slave master. Guess who your new master is? You, you don't get to be in this like middle limbo of, well, I'm not enslaved, but Jesus yet isn't my master. No, you, you belong to Jesus. You participate in him. When you got saved, you, you believed that he was the Lord who died on the cross to save you from your sins. You asked for liberation. You asked for freedom. Your freedom now is that Christ you can follow. Why would you say, hey, I'm going to strike out on my own way now? That's what it meant to live in sin. When you became a Christian, you had a radical break with sin. Again, we still have the presence. But there is a radical new you. Because Christ has put that old self to death and given you new life. Just as much as He had a new resurrection body, there is a new spiritual life at work in you. And one day, it will be brought to completion. And guess what? That will be the resurrection of your body. Think of it like this. I've used this analogy before, uh, so if you've heard me use it, uh, forgive me. But think of it like a, a bomb that goes off. And think of how a bomb would explode in slow motion. At the core, you have ground zero. At the core of who you are, you have ground zero. You are a new creation. And as that explosion goes outward, it will push out those old habits. You will become more like Christ until it completely in your resurrection body radiates out of you. That you bear the image of Christ fully. But the point is that in your salvation, that work has started. Do you understand that? Do you you believe that? How can we go and and make a mockery of grace and be 
be comfortable with our sins. Now, if you are struggling with sin, go back to Christ and repent. And He will always show you mercy and grace. He is, as Hebrews describes this, merciful and tender and gracious high priest who understands what it's like to struggle against sin. Because He Himself was tempted like us in all things, yet without sin. And so He can say to you in your temptations, I know what it's like to struggle against sin. Let me help you. Let me forgive you when you stumble. But don't just say, oh, who cares? I've got grace. Say, yeah, I have grace. And I'm going to come before the throne of grace and know that refreshing power and and in a sense, okay, I'm going to try to, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to try to continue to walk in this new life that I have. Why? Because the Holy Spirit gives me that power. The point is this, don't become complacent. And I've been there at times in my life, and maybe you've been there at times in your life. You say to yourself, you know, I keep stumbling in this struggle. Is God really there? Is the Gospel really at work? Why do I even bother? Maybe I should just go and keep sinning because, you know, I'll be forgiven one way or the other. No. You're in Christ. Walk that way. And avail yourself to His resources, to His power. And when you stumble, continue to come back to His grace. But don't get comfortable. Don't go back under that slave master of sin and say, Well, I can't. I'm here now. I might as well stay. Second, this morning, if you're a believer, we've been saying this already, but you share in the benefits of Christ. But the application is, I want you to think about that. You are so tethered to Christ that when you believe in Him, when you come to partake of these benefits, yes, He died on the cross for you and rose again, But the imagery here is you have died with Him. The old self is put to death. Your sin is paid for by Christ's work. It's just as if you had died. And you have risen up with Him in new spiritual life. His resurrection life is at work in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Think about this for a minute. The same power that God said to the Son, come forth out of that grave. This is My Son in whom I'm well pleased. Ascend to My right hand. That power is at work in you as the Christian. Do you realize how much power through the Holy Spirit and through the working of Christ you actually have yourself connected to to resist sin? Do you ask God to work in you? Do you ask that power to be at work that you might understand and know the riches of His grace and His glory and the majesty, that power that He worked when He rose Jesus from the dead? You are united to Christ. Christ died to save sinners. And because of the death and resurrection, we share in the benefits of that work. Christ has paid it all and His resurrection has secured it all. And and you share in that. You share in that. 
And Christ could no more cut you off than you or I could take out a knife this morning and cut our own arms off. You are a partaker in His benefits. Why would we want to go back? Why would we want to walk away from what we have? Why would we want to throw our hands up and say, oh, well, it doesn't matter how I live. You partake in Jesus. Third, this morning, your baptism is highly symbolic. You've been... Let me just ask kind of the question, and maybe this is important for some of you, but have you been baptized? Have you professed faith in Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved, but, but part of then being saved is making a public testimony of that through baptism. Have you been baptized? But your baptism isn't just about you saying, hey, I believe these things. It's about saying, look at what Jesus has done. I have trusted Him for sure. But it is His work. And what did He do? He united me to Christ so that I die. I'm going to go down in the water to show you that. And I'm going to come back up out of that. Because I want people to know I have been united to Jesus and been saved. Your baptism means something. Even today, as we take communion, we are reminded of the union that we have with Jesus. You taking in the element, and the element is just a symbol. You know, the, 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 blood, uh, the, the grape juice doesn't change into the real blood of Christ. The, the, the bread doesn't change into the real body of Christ. It's just a symbol. But what is it a symbol of as you eat of it? I actually have to partake in Jesus' death. I have to put my trust in what He has done. Jesus Himself says in John 6 that we are to feed on Him. And He's talking about spiritually what it means to trust in Him. As you take communion, you have this visible symbol that you're united to Jesus. Jesus is in you. And you are in Jesus. Your baptism is the same sort of symbolism. Fourth this morning, Take the fight against sin as deadly serious. It matters. You belong to Jesus. He has called you. He has taken you out from having this master of sin and your enslavement to it. And He has made you a new creation. You are part of His body. He is your head. He has moved you from one lordship into another. Don't become complacent. Look, we are all going to struggle with sin. And maybe some of you are right now really in the middle of a really hard struggle. And you're thinking about giving up. You're thinking about throwing in the towel. And you're saying, you know, it's, it's easier just, I'll just do this sin once or twice. I'll get it off my chest. I'll ask for forgiveness and I'll just go on. But then the temptations will come again. And they'll grow. Don't yield to those things. And and in your struggle with sin, don't give up. God has given you grace and God will give you even more grace. But He challenges us and calls us to say, you're in Christ. Walk. In that newness of Christ. Now again, we don't do that under our own power and our own strength. We are to 
tap into Jesus and, and make ourselves reliant on the Holy Spirit. But don't give up in your struggle. The last thought this morning is this. Grace is no excuse to go on sinning. Quite the opposite. Grace in Jesus brings us the power and the motivation to fight sin. The question for you and I is this. Am I in Christ or not? As a believer, am I in Christ? Where do you think the power to fight sin comes from? Where did the power come from to save you? It came from Christ. Am I in Christ? Am I dead to sin's enslaving power or not? And Paul says, if you are in Jesus, you are dead to the enslaving power. Now live like that. See what Christ has done for you. Grace The riches of grace is no excuse to go on sinning. But when I understand the depths and riches of the grace that God has given me in Jesus and all that He has done for me in that, in uniting me to Him, I have motivation and power and the capacity now to fight sin and walk in His ways. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would speak to us from your word, that we would delight ourselves in you, that even now as we take communion, that we would remember uh, the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that his blood was shed for us, that his body uh, was broken for us. Turn our eyes now in the, the closing time as we partake of communion, turn our eyes to the cross of Jesus Christ that we would see the power of it, what it has done, not only in forgiving us of our sins, but also liberating us from the enslaving effects of sin. Oh God, we could not free ourselves just as we could not forgive ourselves. But you both forgave us and you freed us. Give us that joy that it is to have a new life in Jesus Christ. In his son's name we pray. Amen. We're going to come and I'm going to ask the the guys to come forward uh, and we're going to take uh, communion this morning. Uh, Communion is...